You're listening to Make It Big, a podcast about all things e-commerce, created by Big Commerce. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to our Make It Big podcast. I'm Brent Bellum, CEO at Big Commerce, and today we're going to be talking about checkout optimization and user experience. Joining me in the conversation to offer some expert insights is Dom Holland, Chief Executive Officer at Fast. Dom, thanks so much for joining us and welcome to our show. Not at all. Thanks so much for having me, Brent. All right, let's kick this thing off with a brief introduction. Tell us quickly about yourself, Dom, and one thing that you most love to do in your free time. Sure. So, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm Dom. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Fast. Uh, One thing, my free time. So much to the distress of my comms team and my shareholders and everyone else, I do like to jump out of planes and I'm a licensed skydiver and that's my primary form of fun outside of building checkout for the world. Wow. How many skydives have you done so far? Uh, 51 so far. I took it up late last year and uh, so I'm sitting at 51, about to become a B licensed skydiver now. 51 in only a year or so. That sounds like a lot. And what's the highest elevation you've dropped out of a plane from? Uh, 13 and a half thousand feet. So most of our jumps were 13 and a half thousand feet. You can do um, higher jumps, but I typically jump at 13 and a half thousand. Sometimes we do low jumps. So the lowest jump that I've done is three and a half thousand feet. And sometimes the low jumps are a lot harder than the high jumps. Right. Because that parachute has to deploy fast. You don't get many second chances from a low starting point. Yeah, so you got to get get out of the plane and get stable and get a parachute above your head before you hit the deck, obviously. And so, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. My only experience with skydiving was in 1996. Of course, it was a tandem dive with a licensed person. And we did what you're not supposed to do, which we went out of a plane and there just happened to be a cloud in the wrong spot. I went through that cloud. And for anybody who hasn't been through a cloud before, you know, the cloud's ice crystals, and you're just kind of getting, it's like all these little pinpricks. And the, the dive instructor guy I'm with said, Brent, do you want to pull the parachute cord? And I said, yes. But once I got into this cloud, I was totally disoriented. You know, you, you don't see the ground. You don't know where the heck you are. And before I know it, we're coming out of the cloud, and he's pulling the parachute cord. And, you know, after he's like, man, you would have died after your first thing because you did that totally wrong. But he was also saying what we did wrong is we let you go through a cloud, which we're not supposed to do. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. No one's meant to go through a cloud, not just students. It's uh, it's a big no-no. In fact, not meant to jump out of the plane if there's if there's too much cloud coverage and and we're going to weather holds. But but you're brave. And and as a student, you would have had an exposed face, and so it's cold, it's wet, you know, as you've experienced. Uh, Whereas someone like me jumps out of planes, we have full face helmets, so at least we're a little bit more protected. Yeah, so it was freaky, and it was not exactly the experience I was expecting, but it was a heck of a lot, because once you get out of it, and you're just way up there, and you're seeing it, it's unbelievable. I can understand why you like it. Yeah, and I've got to say, much like you, I expected that going through a cloud would be a delightful, lovely experience, (laughs) and it is not. (laughs) It is not the thing that you you strive to do. Blue skies is what you want, lovely blue skies. Well, it's not skydiving, but the one thing I did with my two 14-year-old boys this summer is paragliding. And we were in Colorado. You just kind of go off the edge of a mountain. Mm -hmm. It's like one of the coolest things of all time. You're just kind of floating, floating, floating up in the air, moving around. It was amazing. I was like, if I had free time, 
I'd be doing more of that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hear. You. Yeah, I haven't done paragliding yet, but I'm I'm very much uh, looking forward to it. It's a lot of fun, a different experience, but um, a lot of fun. Well, people have shown me paramotoring, which instead of having to take off from high up on a hill, you can take off from the ground, and you've got like a big fan behind you. And it's it's safer than a lot of other things because if the fan goes out, you still have the parachute above. Mm-hmm. Anyway, fun stuff. Okay, let's talk checkout now. And as an intro into finding out what Fast is doing differently and better than anybody has ever done before, I'm going to do my own subjective overview of the history of e-commerce checkout. And I've been involved in e-commerce checkouts uh, directly or tangentially since the late 90s. And you know, for anybody listening to this call, if you did any e-commerce in the 1990s, you'll recall that checkout was an appallingly bad experience. It differed radically from website to website. It was anywhere from five to 10 pages long with onerous steps, lots of information collected that was unnecessary, uh, sometimes you know, contradictory and causing errors from page to page. So that was the 1990s. By the time you got to the 2000s, there were two remarkable innovations in the world of checkout. The most remarkable one was OneClick by Amazon, where for the first time, you know, you had a website storing all of your information. And as long as you're logged in, you can buy a product just by hitting a button. And they didn't ask you for anything new, your billing address, your shipping address, anything. If it was your default info, boom, you're out. That was really cool. The problem is they had a patent on it and nobody else could do something equivalent to one click or call it one click uh, until that patent expired is my understanding. Mm -hmm. That didn't stop other innovation though. The other big one was PayPal. And what PayPal did is it created a wallet version of its service that basically if a merchant chose to integrate PayPal at the front of its checkout, then a user could bypass entering their name, their billing address, shipping address, credit card number, all this stuff. And in essence, get out in two clicks. You had to click on PayPal, the wallet, and then you had to confirm, it's three clicks. Then you had to confirm that you were wanting to do this with PayPal, then the pop-up goes away, and then you're now down in the uh, final confirmation on the merchant website. Those were the two innovations from my perspective in the 2000s. When you get to the 2010s, Lots of businesses are realizing, man, this five-click checkout is atrocious. And rather than just innovating on the edges, like, oh, do we really need an opt-in versus an opt-out email thing, or can we get rid of opt-out checks all the time, you know, and the legality around opt-ins and opt-outs, and instead of just tweaking on five pages versus three pages, they got down to one page. And and the one pages looked a lot nicer because the best ones would do like what ours does, which is include what's in your shopping cart for visibility in the same checkout page. So you didn't have to go back and forth to confirm, am I really buying what I wanted to buy? And the one pages were kind of accordion style. You're still having to go through each of those steps. If you don't log in and use an existing account, you have to log in to use your existing account. And if you don't log in, you're are checking out as a guest. And again, you're entering your name, your billing address, your shipping address, going through any shipping confirmation choices, and you know, hopefully not getting stuck with dumb questions at the end around opt-in and opt-out and all that kind of stuff. 
one page, but multiple steps. That takes us to today and with FAST. What is FAST trying to do that's so much better than what I have described and makes it the next iteration of great checkout experience? Yeah, so I think in terms, I think that was a great summary, um, first of all. Uh, and I think one of the things that I'll say is that really, if we think about the state of the internet today, a lot of e-commerce still feels like the 90s, right? There's still a lot of e-commerce experiences that do have five-page checkout forms, right? PayPal, I, I agree, you know, as, as a sort of early and, and long-term PayPal user, PayPal was a really great innovation. Uh, the reality is that the PayPal experience we have today is not much different than the PayPal experience we got 15 years ago. And so it was, what was a great innovation then is now sort of a, a mildly better experience today. And so a, a lot of the structure hasn't changed much um, in, in quite some time. The one-page checkout makes things uh, easier, having you know everything in one place, but you still have to fill in your information time and time again, right? And and so you don't get the network effect of something like a PayPal or a you know a, a checkout button that would span multiple merchants, um, but you get everything in one place. So you can use autofill and and whatnot. For fast. We're essentially trying to solve the same problem of decreasing friction for people or, or at checkout. I think our approach is somewhat different. And, um, you know, I think fundamentally we set out to solve the consumer problem, right? Make it easier for people to buy. And I think there's a lot of companies in the space who are coming at this from with different incentives, right? You've got device manufacturers who are incentivized to get more people using their device and so if you're using their device, then they will make it easier for you to pay at the end of a transaction. Their device, meaning like Apple iPhone? Like an iPhone, that's right. So if, you, if you're using an iPhone, then you could use Apple Pay, right? But if you're not using an iPhone, well, then you can't use Apple Pay. And then you've got companies whose business model is running an ad network, right? And so their primary goal for you know, building commerce products is to um, have more people using their ad networks. And so... We've got different incentives at play. And if you create walled gardens like iPhones, you know, in not letting Android users use it, then you're not actually setting out to make e-commerce easier for people. You're setting out to make it easier for people to be locked into your iPhone ecosystem, right? Well, just pausing on that, isn't it the case that the model of each of those device-specific ones is another wallet model? So if you're on a desktop browser or even mobile responsive one, you know, in order to make these different checkouts work, you get this wall of wallets at the top. You've got still the PayPal wallet that I described earlier, but then you've got Android Pay, you've got Apple Pay, you may have Visa Pay, you may have Amazon Pay, and you just get this wall of wallets that's still kind of a weird logo set of choices uh, if you want to skip the rest of the form fields. Exactly. And and really, it's because they serve a specific audience, right? Again, with if you have Apple Pay, you still need to have something else because what do you do for anyone who's not using an iPhone? Or if they're using the Chrome browser on their iPhone, then they can't use Apple Pay, right? So it's so contextual, you have to provide this wall of choice. And, uh, and it's not a great experience, right? And so kind of bringing it back, the problem that Fast set out to solve is what is to make the fastest and easiest way for consumers to check out, right? It seems like a no-brainer. But when we think about what is the fastest and easiest way for a consumer to check out, the answer is obviously to be buying in one click, right? From the moment that you want to buy something, click and buy. But it's one click from the moment they actually want to buy that item. 
for everything that we've just described, the typical experience to even use PayPal, Google Pay, Apple Pay, name your payment button and that wall of buttons we see, typically you've heard about a product from social media or from an article or something like that. You click the link to go to the website, you look at a product page, you click add to cart, view cart, checkout, then you enter your email address because they want to know if you're a user or not. And if you're not a user, then they'll show you, you know, give us your address. And then they typically show you payment at the end, right? And they say, how do you want to pay for this? And then they give you this wall of buttons. And the reality, as we've just seen, is you've had 10 steps just to get to that point, right? So they can call it one click, one touch, whatever they'd like. The reality is you're at your 11th or 12th touch at that point, right? And so the difference of fast is we want to bring all of that forward. And so one of the biggest differentiators you see is that every retailer, the merchant that uses fast, and it's a big and very fast growing network, puts fast checkout on the product page. And it's a button that says fast checkout. It's typically above the add to cart button. So you still have an add to cart option. And it, so it says fast checkout or add to cart. And if you click fast checkout from the product page in one click, you purchase a product, right? That is the fastest and easiest way to buy anything. But the reality is that, you know, merchants have in the past refused to put PayPal, Apple Pay, Google Pay, every other payment button on product pages because they don't want to sacrifice average order values or items per order, right? Because no retailer in the world only wants to sell one item, right? They all want to sell multiple items or they want to increase their basket size, right? Naturally. And they do that, one, obviously to bring in more revenue, but two, to decrease their like operational overhead and costs for fulfilling the order, Right. And so, uh, you know, they've got set shipping costs and they've got fixed payment cost. And so the higher the value of the money coming in, then, you know, the more profit margin that they're making on each order makes sense. And so if you had Apple Pay, PayPal, one of these other payment buttons on product pages, if a consumer used it, they're only selling one item. And, and so even if the consumer kept shopping on their site and then bought a second item with a second one of these um, payment buttons, now the user has submitted two orders. The company has got two orders for one item each. Their average order values are going down. Their items per order is one and they're paying an incrementally higher shipping cost and payment cost. And so no one wants this. And for the consumer, you're probably paying an individual shipping fee for each product that you're buying. So it's actually costing you more money to shop at this retailer. So this is why every retailer has a add to cart, view cart, checkout process so that you bundle up lots of products, right? But that's not the easiest way to buy. And so we set out to solve that problem first. How do we make it so that retailers will put our button on product pages, right? Because that's the best experience for consumers. We can still do cart and we still do check, like standard checkout. You can add our button to that wall of buttons that you've got. But the primary place where over half of all fast transactions come from is product page. It is the, by far the, the most impactful use of fast because it's easiest for consumers and they're voting with their clicks, right? And so... The reason that retailers put us on there is because we built this um, technology called batching. We built it from the ground up. And there's one other company in the world that actually has batching um, in place, and that's Amazon on Amazon.com. I was going to say, everything you're describing is the original one-click checkout because it was so powerful, not just because, oh, you bypass the whole checkout experience, but they put it on the product pages, right? Absolutely, yeah. And in their case, they, you know, a lot of people with Prime, they don't pay for shipping. So- as a consumer, you, you could be like, I don't care. I don't worry about whether I get racked up inefficient shipping charges because they don't charge me for shipping. So you may be in there and, and each time you see something you want to buy, you just hit buy now, which is what they call it now, buy now rather than one click, but you could buy four or five things and it all gets aggregated into one 
order. Exactly. So, so this is exactly right. So Amazon has actually shown the world the winning model is you have a buy now button and an add to cart button, right? If people still want to collect a card or check totals, that's perfectly fine. But if they just need to buy something, make it easy for them to buy it, right? And Amazon powers more e-commerce than anyone else in the world. They've done very successful at this. But the reason is, as you exactly described, if you click four buy now buttons, right, even over different time periods, it'll all turn up in the same box two days later, right? It doesn't, it's not like you end up with four boxes. Amazon's very good at batching things into one box. And if you know, Amazon doesn't charge your card immediately. They'll charge your card a little bit later on. They might batch the payments for those two purchases as well. Because they don't want to pay the fixed credit card fees multiple times. Exactly. And so Fast does this for every single one of our merchants out of the box, right? And so we have batching built in. So a customer can go to a product page, click Fast Checkout, and we say order complete. And then they can keep browsing or they can come back five minutes later and click Fast Checkout again on a different product. And we'll batch them into the same order in the merchant's back end. Their average order value skyrockets, their items per order stays high. And in fact, it continues to increase. I think our average items per order across our entire network is 2.39. Um, so it's very high as an industry average, let alone you know, from the fact that over half of our transactions come from the product page. Uh, our shipping costs are low and payment costs are low. And for, for consumers, when they do that, we batch, if, if the merchant does have a shipping fee or a free shipping threshold, likely the consumer now hits the free shipping threshold once they've bought the second or third item. So uh, it's, you know, it's great for business, great for consumers, and, it, and our average conversion rate increase across our network is 60%. And so you can tell the impact it has on business by exposing checkout to everyone who looks at a product, not just people who get into this con um, checkout flow. So Dom, I want to go to the conversion rate statistics in a few minutes, but I want to go back to a point you said earlier, which might be one of the real takeaways for merchants who've never tried this and wouldn't have even thought about it. You said that when having your fast buttons on product pages, what percentage of purchases are on the product page? Over half. Over half. Yep, so when, they, when they're buying one individual item at a time. But again, to be clear, that doesn't mean that the average order value items per order is one, it's just that they're- oh, When they're buying one item at a time, what, what, what percentage of all checkouts that you process are from- Or initiated from product page? Yeah. Over half. Wow. Yeah, it, it is very high. Now, so that's not, that's not what over one half of all purchase sessions because you're saying that, you know, quite often there'll be people on a website and they will do multiple fast purchases from individual product pages. So it's not more than half of all purchase sessions, but it's more than half of all checkouts, which- I think that's a real takeaway for any merchant listening to this call, because uh, you just learned something about consumer behavior that you could never hope to find out with the old model, because you, you didn't enable that before. Amazon has, but you haven't. Now, for those merchants who have done this, consumers actually have a very strong inclination to, rather than stick things in a cart, wait to go back to the cart when they're done shopping, wait to go through a checkout flow, they're like, wow, I, could, I, I found the first thing I want. I can just buy this thing right now, pay right now. And over half of all purchase checkouts are consumers doing that. That is a shocking number. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if I told you just how high I was, you'd find it even more interesting. But um, one of the points on this is that there's a few like obvious points why this, why this is, and then there's some nuance. So 
every other company approaching this typically talks about card abandonment, right? And card abandonment is a big problem. 80 to 85%, you know, across across the board, we see card abandonment. And so everyone is optimizing that last point in the sort of cart process, right? That payment piece at the end, pick your payment button. Well, you don't have to enter your credit card number again, right? We're a payment token. Now, that's great. And we should be optimizing to reduce cart abandonment. But the thing that we've shown is on top of improving cart abandonment, with product page checkout and batching, we actually expose checkout to everyone who looks at the product. And there's a class of consumer who's not clicking add to cart. So they're literally just not getting into the flow. So you can optimize that flow as much as you like. You're missing a huge group of consumers that aren't, just aren't clicking add to cart, right? And there's a couple of reasons. One is they just, again, it's just more friction. You, you're, they know that there's at least three more clicks before they're gonna buy and they just can't be bothered, right? And so they're not going down that path. And so if you expose checkout to everyone who sees your product, your conversion rate goes up, it makes sense. The other thing that I'm sure a lot of retailers this thing would know is that some, a lot of users use their cart as their wish list, right? And so they'll add 30 products to their cart and then they never buy any because they don't wanna buy all 30, but they also don't wanna remove all 30 because that's their wish list and how will they see anything? So much like Amazon, which a lot of people do this as well, you can just go back to one product page, hit fast checkout and you'll buy the one product and leave your cart intact. And of course you could go to your cart and still click fast checkout and buy all the items in one go, but you don't have to. And so this is incredibly effective. It's like literally we see the conversion rate skyrocket and it's the best experience for consumers. So product page checkout uh, is obviously critical and we've shown that, but again, it's critical that businesses don't do this without batching. Otherwise, they do it at the expense of all of their other business metrics. And so batching has just been the most critical unlock for us in, in growth of our merchant base and our, uh, and our checkout volume. Cool. Let's now talk about what's different in the user experience. And for anybody uh, who's interested, you can go to the fast.co homepage and look at a quick example of that blazing fast checkout experience. I had a live experience with it uh, a couple weeks ago when I was uh, on a big commerce client, Decorative Plumbing Online, shout out to them. I needed to buy two different faucets because we have two different cabinet projects at our house, one of which is thanks to the big freeze in Texas that happened back in February where pipes burst and you know destroyed a room and the cabinets in it. So two different projects and I'm buying two cabinets. So I didn't I didn't experience that buy one on a page, but I go to checkout. And as soon as I land in the checkout, I was like amazed because it was a user experience that I couldn't ever remember seeing before. I didn't have to enter anything. It it, it had my name and had uh you know, billing and shipping address. Clearly they already knew them, but they but but it didn't even uh, it wasn't in a formatting I was familiar with. My credit card was ready and I just had to click like one click checkout. And I'm like, I've never been on this site before. I mean, it's a big commerce client, but we've got 60,000 plus. I'd never visited this particular one before. And yet here I have the ability to do a one click checkout and there's no uh, extra confirmation. I can't even remember if I had to enter a, a CVV for the credit card. I might have. And it's not like that horrible, horrible Shopify experience where you land in a checkout and all of a sudden Shopify, this company that you don't have a relationship with, you don't know the merchant sites on them, is texting you saying, I'm watching you, I'm Big Brother, I see where you are, 
I know you want to buy something. I've got your credit card number. I want to charge it. Can I charge it? Can I charge it? Enter this code. I was like, that's a horrible experience. This was amazing. So have I described your user experience correctly? And then explain to people how on earth you did that because I hadn't entered that before. I'm not a customer of theirs. I hadn't logged in. How did I get that user experience? Yeah, so um, a, a great um, a great summary. There's a few pieces of nuance there. The first thing I will say is you definitely didn't have to enter your CVV. Um, there was absolutely no step. So a lot of companies are, are trying to build a better checkout form, right? Every business for themselves should be optimizing their own checkout form. But there's a lot of networks out there or payment buttons or whatever else that are, are trying to offer businesses a better checkout form. Fast eliminates the checkout form, right? There's no point. You don't need to have a checkout form. And so to explain the first time a user ever uses fast checkout, they'll land on a site, whether it's um, a plumbing site or, or you know any, any other site that uses fast checkout, and they'll see a button that says fast checkout. And it pops up straight away with a little form. We enter your email, your name, your phone number, your delivery address, and your credit card number, right? It's the first time you ever use Fast. And you click process transaction. And then the order goes through. And you can buy another product in one click. In that session now, you could keep browsing the site and click Fast Checkout again. The next time you click Fast Checkout, whether it's on that site 10 seconds later or whether it's on a completely different site you've never seen a month later, when you click it, it'll just say order complete. Right? This is the exact way that commerce should work. You were trying to buy something and we tell you that you bought it. And so that's the fast experience. And so we have removed every single ounce of friction in that process, which is why it feels so different, right? Because we're used to so much friction in this buying experience. And so we have flipped that on its head and removed all the friction. The difference, rather than um, make... 100% of people confirm every step, right? We, we, we don't move address every two minutes. So we shouldn't have to keep telling people that this, yes, the same address that I used two minutes ago is the one I want to use right now. Instead of making 100% of people confirm everything, instead we make 0% of people have to confirm everything. We'll go straight to a confirmation screen, but we give you five minutes if you want to change anything. You could add a coupon code, you could change your address, you could change your card, you could change the quantity of what you're buying, or you could just walk away and, and know that your products are going to be delivered you know, a couple of days later. And so that's the fast experience. It really is just the fastest and the easiest way for people to buy. It was like game changing for me. I was astonished at how great that experience was. And what's happening here is uh, I presume there are there's both memory in your product functionality, and then obviously network effects. So the memory is, you know, you've described the first time experience where I do it, and then you remember that, and those are my defaults the next time. But the second time, if I go to a site and I change a shipping address or I add a and use a different credit card or whatever, I presume you remember those. And so the next time I do it, you'll default me to something, but I can go in and edit and. I'll have the choice of other shipping addresses or other credit card numbers if used before, just like I would at any merchant website that does this well or a wallet that does this well, correct? Absolutely. And you can, of course, have multiple, right? We, I have a personal card and my business credit card attached to my profile, work address, personal address. Sometimes I buy things for each and you can swap and choose, right? And so you can have multiple there. And also, if you've ever used Fast, if you just go to fast.co, you've got a list. It'll just pop up on the homepage with a list of everything that you bought before, like the Amazon Your Orders page. 
It'll track the delivery of every item that you've bought. You can go into a transaction and see the, see the details of it, see the receipt information, or you could buy it again in one click. We have a lot of coffee companies that use Fast and their customers buy coffee frequently, right? We drink a lot of coffee. And so they'll go back to Fast, go into the transaction and click buy again from the Fast.co dashboard. The business gets a repeat purchase without the consumer ever having to like Google the name of the company, you know, click on the site, browse to the product and then hit again. So uh, it drives a lot of repeat purchase. But in that same portal, they can manage their addresses, they can manage their cards and, you know, they could do that either at the point of checkout or from the Fast dashboard. Yeah. And so the network effects advantage was highlighted in my user experience. Uh, because, all right, first time on decorative plumbing online, but apparently I had checked out on other, one or more other fast websites before and just hadn't remembered it because my initial experience was the same like it always is. The first time you've got to enter your name and your billing and your shipping and your, and your credit card. So the first time it didn't, it didn't feel so unusual to me that I would pay attention and say, well, what's What's so radically different about this? But then the second time, I'm on a new website who's never seen me before and buying something, and I get this unbelievable one-click checkout, and that's the network effects. All you have to do as a consumer is ever check out once on any fast merchant website, and then any other website you go to, or the same one, you're gonna get that one-click experience. And so if you're a merchant and you adopt fast, the giant benefit you get coming in is any consumer who's ever done fast anywhere is gonna get that one-click experience and breeze through your checkout. And what's incredible about that is it doesn't require fast to get to like 20% of all checkouts to have a great network effect or 10% of all checkouts. Um, you could be at a small percentage of all checkouts as long as consumers who shop a lot on the web have hit any fast merchant before, when they get to the next merchant who does this, they get that incredible experience. And on top of that, merchants right now, they work so hard to try to create that same user experience on their own. How does a merchant create that same experience on their own? They try to get customers to create an account, right? An account with a login, where their credit card is stored and their addresses are stored and shame on you if you're using an e-com platform that doesn't make stored credit cards easy. But now you've got to get customers to create accounts. And a lot of customers don't want to create an account. It's an extra step. It's a password. Nobody wants more passwords floating around on individual merchant sites. Nobody wants their credit card floating around at bazillions of merchant sites. And it's still something that you have to log in with, which is an extra step. So a lot of consumers are going to check out as guests each time, even though they're repeating their information. Now, Google may make the form fill experience of guest checkout better than it used to be. All right, so it's going to take a few extra seconds. But it's still, merchants are trying to drive this account to create a more seamless experience. It's hard to get people to create accounts. And even if you have an account, you got to log in successfully. And how many people get frustrated when they can't log in? Not a good experience. Fast gives you the ability to eliminate all that. Am I describing this correctly? Yeah, look, absolutely. It, you know, everyone wants to give the returning user experience, right? Fast gives everyone the returning user experience on any site, even if they've never been to that site before. And you know, again, you, this point about like autofill, sometimes we get people say, doesn't autofill solve this problem? 
Again, if you think about the flow of e-commerce, add to cart, view cart, checkout, into your email address, one form field that you have to continue to get to the next, right? You can use autofill to paste your email address in that field, then click next. Then the site will decide whether or not you're an existing user. Then you could autofill the guest form and then you hit next and then you'll get to the credit card form and then you could autofill that. You've got like multiple autofills and this is assuming that every time the autofill has been perfect and not put, you know, your home address in line two or something like that um, or your wife's name in front of your name, you know, like it does for me. You know, there's there's just so much extra step. And so for fast, we remove all of that. Yeah, that's right. Even if they've never been to your site before, when they click fast checkout, it gives them the returning user experience or to complete. It is the most magical experience in the world. And but the best thing is that batching on product page has actually shown that even a first time fast user who we've never seen will convert better than a returning user to your site using traditional checkout because it's only one step, even for an existing user. You talk about like BigCommerce one-page checkout, we have one pop-up checkout, even from a product page, right? For a first-time user, it's one lot of autofill for the entire form. It is like so highly optimized. Obviously we've got, uh, you know, 250 of the brightest minds optimizing one form effectively. Um, and so they've done it to a, an incredible degree. But uh, yeah, so we, we find that product page checkout will convert a brand new fast user better than an existing customer on a merchant's website and even better than other external checkout um, buttons for, you know, with their existing users. Okay, so let's, let's share a couple of statistics on what this might mean for merchants. And you know, I caveat my question by saying you know, every merchant should expect you to say, oh, we're gonna raise your sales and make you a lot more successful. What are the two or three statistics that you anchor your argument on what FAST does to improve? And how would you compare this to a statistic that a merchant would know from their own website? So in other words, if I'm a merchant and I'm sophisticated looking at my either visitor to cart creation statistics or visitor to purchase statistics, which you know they say average somewhere in the 2% range for e-commerce sites, maybe less these days, or my checkout conversion statistics. Merchants may be familiar with those kind of key statistics for their sites. What are, what are the benchmarks and then what do you think a fast improvement can be? Yeah, let me give you three or four. The first one, as I mentioned before, is the average conversion rate increase we drive. So the whole point of people wanting to use fast, right, is get more people to buy stuff, right? Get more, make it easier for people to buy stuff. If you make it easier for people to buy stuff, more people will buy stuff, right? So the way that we measure that is the conversion rate increase, which is the visitors to orders, right? And fast increases your conversion rate by an average of 60%. That's across our entire network. It's a staggering, staggering um, statistic. Meaning visitor to purchase at least one thing. Yes. Now, as we mentioned, over half of all the fast orders come from the product page. Right. And so there'd be, I know that there's a ton of people sitting there cringing, going, oh, all of our costs are going to go up and, and now average order value is going to go down. So now that we've got those two statistics out of the way, the, the last two, the most and two very important to go with that is our average items per order across the fast network is 2.39. It is very high. In fact, it continues to increase, right? We, we see our average items per order continue to increase across our network. The average order value for fast across our entire network is $220. Again, 
the averages for e-commerce are, are much lower than this. 100 bucks. Exactly, right? Average items per order is like 1.8 on average across the network. So despite the fact that we are the absolute leader in product page checkout, our average items per order and average order values are far higher than the industry averages. And this all comes down to batching. And so again, you know, the, the reason why merchants have typically like flocked to fast to date has been product page checkout with our batching technology and all of their metrics just go up and to the right. It's a no-brainer. It is a no-brainer why, why they would. All right. So you have to charge something for what you do. How do you price? And what is the pricing? Everything we do is design to reduce friction and make life easy. We just match merchants' existing payment rate. So if you're a brand new merchant, you've never used anything before, it's a brand new store, we've got rec retail prices, which you know in the US is 2.89% cents, right? It's one of the cheapest in market. But if you're an existing merchant, you already have a payment gateway, you already have a payment service, we will just match that rate. And so you can still keep all of those extra buttons that you've got that nobody's using or the slow checkout form that you've got, you can still keep that, but you can also add fast to the mix. And anytime somebody uses fast, you would be charged this exact same payment processing rate that you would if they used your slow checkout form. So you effectively, we're margin neutral. Who is processing the payments in the background? Fast. Uh, who does Fast use? Our largest investor is Stripe. And so we're backed by Stripe. We typically sit on top of Stripe's infrastructure, but uh, you, Merchant doesn't have a Stripe account. You know, We use their infrastructure as, a, um, as our backbone, but we act as the merchant gateway for on behalf of our customers. So you're the underwriter, so to speak. You take on the risk? Yes. Yeah. We're the merchant of record. And so we have a zero fraud guarantee across our network. So it means not a single merchant within the fast network has any fraud chargebacks. So that means your business model is you're recognizing the gross payment revenue. So if it's 2.9% plus 29 cents, you recognize all of that as revenue. And then your cost is the you know underlying interchange cost from Visa, MasterCard, or whoever the credit card processor is, plus whatever nominal fees Stripe puts on top of that. And you're saying that there is enough margin in there between your, in essence, like wholesale rate and what most companies charge for payments for that to be funding your whole business model. You, you can add all this extra value Yes, absolutely. And in, bearing in mind as well that a lot of large merchants already have much lower prices than that, right? The average large merchant, medium to large merchant, isn't paying 2.89%. They've negotiated much. Right. If they're paying 2.4%, 2.3%, you say you're going to match that. And we will still match that and still come out with great margins in our business. Yeah, that's compelling. And as a side note, you know, I, I spent eight years at PayPal and it is absolutely the case that even though payments are pretty commoditized, there's still a ridiculous amount of profit in payments. Sure. And, and there's enough in there for you to build a whole business where you add a whole bunch of value through checkout that a pure payment processor doesn't have. Exactly. And, and bearing in mind, it's a volume business, right? But that's, it's a good thing that we're in a multi-trillion dollar market where there's a lot of volume available. And so, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of room for us and we're doing well. So the underlying one drawback is if you're a merchant and you've been using a different payment processor for some period of time and you want to keep using that payment processor, you don't have that option with FAST. 
Uh, well, you absolutely can continue using your payment processor, just not for the payments that are processed through Fast, right? Anytime the consumer clicks the Fast button, it's processed by us. Anytime that they would decide to use slow checkout um, because they're, you know, like inducing pain on themselves, then they can use your existing payment processor and it keeps working as normal. Oh, so you're saying you can mix and match? Of course, yeah. How many of your customers mix and match? How many of them add Fast as a button but aren't using you for their core checkout? payments? Well, effectively all. So almost all our merchants have a traditional checkout form, right? Every e-commerce site out there has the slow checkout form and they still have the wall of buttons that we spoke about. And we tell them, you could leave those there. You don't have to remove them. We don't make you do anything. You just add add fast. Consumers pick it every time. So we don't need to worry about whether or not you remove the other stuff. Consumers are just going to ignore it. And so what we do see is um, we see a lot of merchants who come on, they add the fast button, they see the results. And about two months later, they turn around and say, hey, can you start removing these wall of buttons for us and remove the old checkout because people are just using fast anyway. So we do see that, but they're more than happy, welcome, and fine to use their existing payment processor as well as fast. We're purely additive. Okay, so let me, let me think through this. I get the user experience on a product detail page where I see the fast checkout button for one click checkout. If I then go into the, let's call it traditional checkout page that a merchant has built and created in BigCommerce or Magento or any other e-commerce platform. And I've got my logo wall of wallets at the top traditionally. And I've got you know a one page checkout below where somebody can go through as a guest or as a new user, enter all their information directly and then pay at the bottom. So you're saying two things. Number one is fast can be one of those logos at the very top. But what is the experience? Uh, is there any defaulting to that? So is there a case where a merchant would say, uh, just automatically stick them into the fast checkout? If fast detects this as a fast user, it's you know it's sort of the akin to you land in a Shopify uh, checkout and Shopify starts texting you saying, again, I'm big brother, I see you, I'm gonna charge your credit card. Yeah, so we don't expose um, user base to merchants until a consumer clicks a button. If you don't click the button, then we're not gonna tell the merchant anything about you, right? As soon as you click the button, you buy the item and we pass your information along to the merchant, right? It all happens in one click. So I have to pick fast. I have to hit fast at the top in order to go through that experience. That's right. But what a merchant will do as well from the cart page is if they really want to prioritize fast, they'll just have the fast checkout button. This is the only option on the cart page. And they'll just skip the entire checkout process, right? The, the entire traditional checkout process. But again, a lot of merchants, even on that checkout form, say that they like to become as one page checkout form is they'll have fast checkout at the top, a fast checkout button, and then it'll say or, and then it'll have the traditional form, right? And so if, if for some reason they want to do, do everything manually, they could scroll down and do that. Um, and then the, the other payment buttons are typically at the bottom, but uh, that, that's how that's how they can um, they can always prioritize fast in lots of ways. But you know, typically consumers will will choose it on their own. Okay, let's get provocative for a second. PayPal recently raised the cost of PayPal Wallet to three point four nine percent. You're saying your starting price is two point eight nine percent, and you go down for there. So merchants save money if a consumer picks fast over PayPal. Correct. Yeah, look, our pricing is definitely, uh, you know, typically, we don't try and be the cheapest in market, but we just want the commercials to get out of the way of a merchant saying yes, right? So our goal isn't to be the cheapest in market, although typically we, we are, 
We are extremely competitive in terms of pricing. And so just on raw unit economics of just processing orders, merchants come out ahead with fast. But, you know, our goal isn't to be a cost cutting checkout. So we don't often lead or talk about pricing. Up until now, we haven't spoken about pricing once, right? The reality is that merchants use fast because we're going to increase sales. We're going to increase the amount of money coming into the business for them. But of course, on, on, you know, out the back door, we make sure that they're being looked after as well. Well, I'm going to push you on pricing in a second, but let me ask, well, actually, let, let's, let's go in this direction on pricing. So if I were to be critical of the US financial system, I would level this major criticism. The cost of processing electronic payments in the United States is ludicrously higher than it is in the other advanced economies. It's ludicrously higher. And where this becomes a big problem is, and, and then on top of that, you've got the fees that get added. You've got the fixed costs, you've got the you know, whoever your payment processor, that's just interchange. That's what the issuer of the credit card is charging the acquiring bank. And then the acquiring bank adds fees, you know, and, and the merchant ends up paying, you know, let, let's say you're paying 2.9% plus 30 cents and the average transaction is $100. So you're paying 3.5%. If you're a typical small merchant on a typical $100 transaction, you're paying 3.5% to process standard run-of-the-mill Visa, MasterCard, credit cards, Amex will be more, PayPal will be more. Well, you are with PayPal. That's what you're paying with PayPal. Yeah. That's right. Uh, because PayPal is 3.5 plus their own 30 cents. Now, we're at a point in the U.S. economic evolution where e-commerce is something like 20% of all consumer spending. There is now a let's call it 3% tax on all US transactions. All 20 the 20% of all transactions happening online, consumer purchases, retail purchases have a tax of 3%, let's call it on average, you know, because of the cost of electronic payments and we don't have either less expensive electronic payments like what Visa Mastercard costs in Europe or Australia or the other thing we don't have is bank-based payments, right? The banks have not enabled electronic funds transfer. And when you go to Europe, uh, in Germany, this is what 70% of all transactions are. There are different models. There's electronic funds transfers, there's ELV, there's GiroPay, there's SoFort, Uberweisung. These are different models of bank payments. They're all bank payments, but just different ways of, different types of user experience and verification. But some of these are just completely free. There's no cost to some of these, like ELV and so forth. You go to the Netherlands, where it's ideal. You know, it's a fixed cost. I can't remember the price, but maybe it's a euro. Um, you get a lot of Eastern European countries, Scandinavian countries where bank payments are prominent. Uh, there's SEPA direct debit as an option across Europe. So if you're a consumer, let's say you're a consumer in America, and 20% of all of your purchases, your average, are done online, Let's say that's $10,000 a year. It's an extra 300 bucks that you're paying, theoretically, to cost of electronic payments passed on to you. So my, I'm going to push you, Dom, and say, are you thinking about, because you can't, you can't change the cost of interchange, but are you thinking about other potential inexpensive like ways of paying in America, like bank-based payments, 
and trying to get those into your options set. And if you did, do you have any ways to lower your cost? Or is that just not a problem you're trying to solve? And you'll wait till the banks either lower interchange, which in this country will probably never happen without political pressure, or somebody else to solve the bank-based payment method, and then you'll incorporate that as a payment option and maybe change your rates. Yeah. Uh, so um, the short answer to your question is you will see uh, a number of more local payment methods added to FAST over the next 12 months in, di in different markets, right? You've mentioned a lot of uh, European markets, Asian markets that have a lot of local payment methods. South, South America has a number of um, different local payment methods that are very popular uh, that we will use. And a, a lot of that is less for us about reducing our cost base and more about allowing people to pay through the way that they want to pay, right? Sometimes the credit cards just aren't used heavily in, in a lot of markets, right? So you have to be using the alternative payment methods uh, that, that they're using in market. Where is their store of funds, right? How do you access a user's store of funds? That's really the challenge we're trying to solve, you know, you're solving when adding different payment methods. So you will absolutely see us uh, do that over the next 12 months. The one thing I'll call out is, as you mentioned, as people um, listening will be able to tell from my funny accent, I am Australian. And, you know, the interchange fees in Australia are a lot less than they are here, uh, which means payments cost less. The reality that we've kind of seen, though, is that it's not typically passed on to the consumer. It's retailers wear it in their margins, right? Retailers wear the cost of processing payments in their margins. And of course, everything in retail, all of a retailer's cost base gets passed on to the consumer in some way. But we don't necessarily see it. You know, it, it doesn't sort of impact the consumer very directly. It's more the retailer's margin that typically suffers from, from payment processing. But also is that payment fee, right? The interchange, interchange fees that merchants pay Everyone thinks of you know Visa and Mastercard or Amex are the ones charging this fee, but the reality with the Visa and Mastercard fees is Visa and Mastercard are actually keeping the minority of the fees that the business is paying. the The majority of those fees are going to banks, right? It's the banks who who yeah, issue, issuing bank. issue the card. That's right. But I think the average consumer two thirds the issuing bank and one third is is probably the acquiring bank or the payment processor. But so um, you know so again the parties who are incentivized or not incentivized to change, you know, why would banks here go and release direct payments from bank, free direct payments from bank accounts? Because they're the parties who are actually profiting the most from the payments in the first place, right? There, there is one and only one explanation for why banks to this day still have not enabled free payments. And you've had to use things like PayPal and Zelle and Venmo to send payments from person to person, because our banks have not enabled electronic funds transfer. And, and that is, that, especially in checkout, exactly right? Especially in checkout and commerce is because they don't have any financial incentive to do it. And it's only going to happen either through political pressure or disruption. And so I'll, I'll leave a thought here, which is that what we're mostly talking about in this call is how you're disrupting the checkout and user experience in a really great way. But at some point, there's going to be another disruption that flows through your product. And I don't know who's going to do it. I've talked in, in other podcasts before this when I was the subject, not the interviewer. And I, and I just think it can't last forever. It's, it's a 3% cost. If suddenly the government came to you and said, either your state government, your city government, or the national government, and said, oh, we're going to add an extra 3% tax on your income, how would you feel? That's what the banking system in the U.S. 
uh, has stuck us with without choice. And I'm not saying that necessarily credit card interchange has to go away. I'm actually a big advocate for what interchange finances in the US, the fact that you can run around all day long with a credit card and make purchases uh, and not even have to pay those off for 30 days and earn points. So a lot of people move forward in this country, in America, the benefit of interchange is a lot of people move forward their purchasing power. I graduated from college, you know, $30,000 in debt, and I needed to basically furnish my first apartment. I did it all on credit cards. I ran out of credit card spending power, so then I got private label cards, and I wasn't revolving these unless they gave me free credit for X months. Uh, I was paying them off, but the way I could spend ahead of my income and ahead of my bank account was because of those 30 days. You know, how is that funded? How can a bank afford to give you money to make purchases before you pay them back, bear the risk, bear the processing cost? Well, it's interchange. So I'm not saying interchange is evil. What I'm saying is wrong about this country is that there aren't cheaper alternatives that merchants can preference or consumers can preference. That's the problem. And I'm saying that's another disruption that's going to come and it will flow through the checkout because you know, whether you introduce it or somebody else introduces it, it's going to happen sooner or later because it has happened other places and you'll want to do something. Yeah, look, you know, it comes down to accessing a user's um, store of funds, right? Like I said before, the reality is uh, you need to be able to access a user's store of funds. At the moment, the only way for us to do that in the US is through credit and debit cards. Uh, and they carry, you know, significant fees to do so. So there's only two ways, paths forward is one, you create a different system to access a user's bank accounts or a user storing funds in different places that do have a direct path. And so, you know, there's definitely two ripe areas for innovation that I agree with that, you know, we'll, we'll of course always look at both and all options. I know we're at about an hour and uh, I think we can go slide, but I've got two more quick, well, I've got two questions. Give these quick answers if you can. First question is, how would you characterize the ideal customer for fast? How big do they need to be? What geographies, any features? Who's the right customer for you? So fast serves anyone who sells things online as a, as a short answer. Uh, the reality is, you know, we have merchants who do hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, typically in the millions as, as the smallest, but we do have some small. And we have merchants who are integrating right now who process billions of dollars a year. And we service, the, you know, so the full size and gamut of uh, merchants, you know, by their own uh, sort of GMVs. But we service all categories and average order values. I think, you know, a lot of people mistakenly, you know, think one-click checkout is for small purchases. But as I mentioned, our average order value is $220 across our entire network. We're higher than the typical payment button, right? We're higher than the average order value of buy now, pay later services, which are meant to increase average order values. So our job is to make purchasing easy for all consumers and for all businesses. And so we, we have shown that. So all of e-commerce is who we service. Great. And then uh, next question is a merchant has to integrate you into their e-commerce platform. You're saying not just in the checkout section of it, but also on product detail pages. On which e-commerce platforms do you work best? Is that the easiest and most seamless to accomplish? You know, um, not to not to blow smoke around you, but um, BigCommerce is definitely the easiest for us to work with and for, and for customers, right? It takes about 30 minutes from a first phone call into Fast or a first email to be able to have Fast live on your site and customers checking out in one click. It is extremely fast um, for BigCommerce merchants. We do support 
a whole, basically every platform out there and, you know, very large enterprise who have custom stack as well. So Fast is fully capable of um, covering the full stack. But yeah, we find big commerce merchants is very easy for them to integrate Fast. Great. So big commerce merchants, pay attention. And if you're not a big commerce merchant, this is an extra reason to consider us. Final question for you. Is there a question I didn't ask you or something about Fast that you most want the listeners to know before we sign off? Absolutely. Future of commerce, um, future of checkout, right? The, the reality is, as we've spoken about at length today, one of the biggest points of difference of Fast is batching, right? And that, that means that we can put Fast on a product page. What it also enabled was our version of headless checkout, right? And people talk about headless commerce a lot. Headless checkout, I think, is the most transformative thing happening in commerce, and Fast is literally driving it. And this is where, you know, we spoke about when a customer first hears about a product, it's normally from social media or from reading a Vogue magazine or a BuzzFeed article or something like that, see a product, click a link, go to the website, right? Fast is now putting checkout in all of those places. Why make them do the loop back to the site to then click on, you know, fast checkout or add to cart from the product page? They can do it from the article itself. And so in the same way that we aggressively increase conversion rates for merchants by putting fast on the product page, we can now go one level higher and put it from the place the consumer first hears about it. So a consumer can read a BuzzFeed article or a Vogue article or a review of a product, see a beautiful pair of sunglasses or a watch they want to buy or a t-shirt, and they can click fast checkout from within the article. And the second they click that, it says autocomplete just like they were on the website. The merchant has the order sitting in their order management system. The consumer's details are sitting in the merchant system. So it's not like we've disintermediated them. All we've done is made it even easier for them to acquire a customer. The merchant can then have upsell opportunities. They've just earned a customer through the channel. Again, it, you know, everyone's calculating conversion rate for typically like the cart flow. We calculate conversion rate from the product level. Now we can calculate it from everyone who hears about your product, not just people who land on the site. So fast headless checkout is definitely the most transformative thing that, that's coming. Uh, and in, in, is in place now with Fast uh, in commerce. Very cool. I've learned a lot from this. For our listeners who've made it this far, who want to learn more, where should they go? Fast.co, um, come to our website. If you want to connect with us on social media, you can go to at Fast on Twitter. If you want to talk to me, it's at Dom, D-O-M-M, uh, and we'd love to hear from you. Wonderful. I've enjoyed this an awful lot. My biggest parting wish is that you keep jumping out of airplanes safely. <laughs> Uh, no clouds. That makes me worried, but I know how much fun it is having done it once the wrong way. May you do it hundreds more times with great joy and, and safety on that. Uh, we're big fans of what you're doing. Thank you, everybody, for joining into this podcast. And if you enjoyed it, we encourage you to tune in next time for other expert e-commerce advice in the Make It Big podcast. Dom, continued success to you and your team. Thanks so much for having us. Great to be partners. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Make It Big podcast. Want even more insights and expert advice? Experience our Make It Big conference, now available on demand. You'll get e-commerce tips and strategies from global thought leaders like Mark Cuban, Anne Handley, and Neil Patel, plus big commerce partners like Google, TikTok, and more. Watch today at bigcommerce.com slash make it big.